So we wanted like to say, hey, there's a broader picture. There's all these type of organizations. There's no judgment here, by the way. And let's represent all the engineering organizations that are out there and give them like some sort of framework to improve on, by the way, on the things that they want to improve. This episode is sponsored by Linear B. Accelerate your development pipeline with data-driven engineering metrics, continuous improvement automation, and project visibility while cutting your software development cycle time in half. Sign up for your free demo at LinearB.io and mention the Dev Interrupted podcast discount for a one-month free when you sign up for an annual pro membership. Well, hey, folks. Welcome to a new type of Dev Interrupted episode. I'm your host for today, Connor Bronston. At LinearB, we have spent every day thinking about how to make developers' lives better. And we're going to start sharing some of that incredible research from our Linear B Labs team with the Dev Interrupted community. So one of the most important projects we've been doing has been diving into finding a way to understand what it looks like when dev teams work together at an elite level, when production, speed, and the team's business alignment are firing on all cylinders. By understanding how elite dev teams work, we can diagnose real, actionable ways to create a culture of continuous improvement within dev teams and enable your team to go from average to elite. It's why we have these conversations on Dev Interrupted with these elite leaders, and it's exactly what the best minds at Linear B have done with our engineering benchmarks report. So to talk through what we found is Linear B CEO and co-founder, Ori Karen. Ori, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Connor. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed kicking off uh, our season two of Dev Interrupted with a conversation about Linear B's founding with you and Dan. It was a wonderful conversation for anyone who missed it and wants more context into Linear B. Definitely go check that out. That's episode one of season two. And I, I'm really excited to dive more into measuring productivity with you because it's something that we have a, a clear opinion on at Linear B of how to compare teams and make sure that we are not burdening individual developers. So to, to see where the report on engineering benchmarks is going to take us, let's start with where we are by talking about the way engineering teams used to think about productivity and how it's measured. Like we've made it to the Dora era now of you know, 2017, 2018, Dora metrics, obviously pulling from the book Accelerate, which I'm sure many folks in the audience are aware of. What has changed since Accelerate was first published in 2018? Yeah, so first of all, from my perspective or from our perspective, it was really interesting to see companies coming more educated. It's almost like us at Linear B, we really have the mission to help engineering organizations like to measure themselves and to improve. So like every conversation would have started by, hey, like this is the, what you should be measuring. What are you measuring today? And it's almost like total like market education. And all of a sudden with this like Dora research and accelerate, it's so fun to see that, they, you know, engineering leaders are coming much more educated. I think that's the most significant thing, like awareness of what are the uh, important things to measure? I think the group, you know, the, the behind Dora did a good job of like identifying the key metrics that you should be tracking. We'll talk about like the, you know, the problems that they have there, but they identified and created like a very good understanding on like focusing on these like four key metrics to, to kind of understand the delivery cadence of an engineering org without damaging culture of engineering orgs and like with all the, the right like motivations in place. And that, that's like the key significant thing that changed because they are, again, with lines of code and all that KPIs that you choose are, will design your culture. 
and the, the previous year one design culture where like it's a competition between the developers or right. like gamifying the system and what Dora did very good is like kind of like shaped like a, a culture of like hey work, this is team sports let's work together and improve the key Dora metrics and just for anyone in the audience who might not know what the Dora metrics are I suspect everyone knows but those are deployment frequency lead time for change mean time to recovery and change failure rate but at Linear B, we've found that going beyond these Dora metrics is important, actually. Ori, what made you and the team at Linear B decide that there needed to be more built on top of Dora metrics? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And where I want to spend a lot of time on because there's a bunch of like uh, answers to that. I think the first thing is that it, even if, like, if you analyze, like, uh, the Dora group, again, which did an amazing job and how, the, how they arrived, like, to these four metrics, this was more, at, at the first level, this was more of, like, an assessment process. They, they would go in and ask you, hey, how much time you release on your key component? You know, the first motivation for Linear was, hey, let's productize this. Because you don't want to wait for, like, I don't know, six months. Three months for the next assessment. Right. You don't just want a snapshot. Yeah. You want to be always on. So that's like the first thing, like when we built Linear B, we thought about it. Then, you know, we identified a bunch of issues that kind of like with the door metrics. So it's great. You come from like darkness to visibility once you like understand your door metric. And then there was this issue of uh, what's next? How do I improve those? Right. yeah, I always compare it like to, you know, we're running a business and there's like this key metric, like a ARR of a company. If you, if you just sit, sit and look at like, okay, my ARR number and wait for it like to improve, nothing will happen. You need to go earlier to like more like a leading indicator right. and leading KPIs to kind of like improve that metric. So how do you get more leads, more opportunities for your team? Totally makes sense. Exactly. Exactly. Increase demand, like everything, improve the, ex- the actual execution. So even though Dora metrics were, were great, the, I think there was three problems that we identified. One that there are like uh, lagging indicators. Again, they prove a great point. If you, if you're in good shape there, you're in, you're in good shape, but if you're not, now what? What do you need to do? So you need to go back to more like leading indicators and improve it. That's problem number one that kind of said, hey, we got to go beyond uh, the Doro metrics. This, the second thing is that they lack business context. So I always compare this like to like an engine of, of a car. Let's say I execute amazing in all the Doro metrics. So like basically they measure like the cadence of delivery and the quality and everything is perfect. And I'm moving so fast, but I'm moving in the wrong direction. Right. Maybe Still like, the company is saying, hey, you need to build A, but I'm moving towards like building B. Now, I do acknowledge that if you're moving in short cycles, you identify it fast that you're moving in the wrong direction usually. But totally. still, it's like missed like the overall business context. So that's something else we wanted to add to that. And last but not least, I think like the... Third, I don't want to say it's low because again, it wasn't meant to break. Door metrics are a great academic resource, but it's not like a product. But when we're building a product, we said, hey, if we want to really build a product around like improving this, uh, the flaw that we have, an operational plan, like how to improve. And then one missing piece is like the developers. Because if you don't get the developers with a bottom-up 
improvement, that they care about it, uh, the problems. You want to improve those like lead time for changes, deployment frequency, CFR and TTR, everything else. So this is, those are like the elements that was, that it was important for us like to put in there as part of like the engineering metrics initiative and other initiatives that we have in the company. So it sounds like you kind of see this benchmarks report and the benchmarking that Linear B is doing as kind of like an update to accelerate or like the next step beyond it. Yeah, I like to look at it as like layers, right? A great, uh, you know, research organization comes and like put like the foundation, the academic, like, you know, in the research foundation. Now you need to build layers. You need to productize it if you really want to improve. You need to go deeper with some of like the research. So I see this as like another layer that will lead, that will help you see where you are, but also help you like lead to improvement. So let's dive into how Linear B's data science team actually conducted the study and the process behind it. Uh, a couple quick data points for people in the audience. This study covered 1,971 engineering teams and over 847,000 branches. That's a lot of data. What inspired the team to compile all of it? Yeah, I think it, it was a bunch of things. So first of all, all, all the motivations that we spoke about before, like, right, so we had prospects and customers coming to us and say, great, you're helping us like see the metrics now, what's next? How do we improve them? So what that's like one uh, big motivation. There's also like feeling or, you know, that there's a bunch of like, there's different organizations, there's high variance of like engineering teams. Every time I, I speak and we speak to like uh, five to 10 engineering leaders a day, they're saying, yeah, great, or metrics, but my organization operates like that. and my business needs are like that. And so one of the other like great motivations was let's do something that's like brings it like down to earth, really concrete, really sees the high variance of the uh, engineering organizations, how they behave and represent all of them. Because yeah, if you see that elite teams, you know, at least uh, 100 times a day and you just have this piece of information. You can be frustrated, right? It's like, I'm not there, so how do I get there? So we wanted like to say, hey, there's a broader picture. There's all these type of organizations. There's no judgment here, by the way. You can move from, you know, from being uh, good at one thing to being elite at one thing. And let's represent and all the engineering organizations that are out there and give them like some sort of framework to improve. And by the way, on, what the, on the things that they want to improve. So that was like big, a big motivation, you know, and we're fortunate enough that, you know, a lot of customers are using our platform, both like the, you know, the paid product, but also like the free tier of our product. And so the variance of the data that we see is, is very big. So those were the motivations, like to, to, to give something out there, like to represent all the teams almost and, and help them improve. And in your own words, what would you say the engineering benchmark study is? I think in very simple words, what the engineering benchmark study is, is like it, it takes all these pieces of data that you talked about. We divided it like to four groups, elite, strong, fair, and need focus. And it just sort of like a map for each squad or each engineering organization of, hey, if, by the way, we're not saying you should improve in this or you should improve in that. In my own words, it's like, here is a map for you. You choose on what to focus. And here are the steps for you to, to like to progress. 
Like you talked about with the car earlier, it's a lot easier to get where you want to go if you actually know the right direction instead of, you know, heading to point B, which when you want to get to point A, if we have that map of, hey, here's where we need to get to and how to get to from average to elite, getting to point A is a lot easier. That makes total sense. So all this amazing research is now known as the engineering metrics benchmarks. It's available at linearb.io. What were the high level takeaways from the research that you saw? So first of all, I think what we, what we've seen is that there's a lot, again, a lot of variants, like a lot of like a different engineering organization. It, it was really interesting. I had a talk. So we had, a, we have an amazing uh, data science team. I, I, you know, before like prepping for this call, I had like another conversation with them. One of the interesting things that we saw is that usually if I'm like, um, I don't know, elite in cycle time, for example. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm elite in all the other categories. So one of the findings uh, that, that we saw is like that there's very few, you know, elite teams that are like great everywhere. So it's almost like us as humans, everybody else, like all of us had like, you know, points that we want to improve. We're probably good at one thing, but we want to improve in other thing. So that's, uh, I think like the, the first thing that we really saw, like when we like did the research, the second thing is like related to the reactions that, that we got from engineering teams. And uh, that, that one is also super interesting because the engineer, basically what the engineering benchmark project does, it, it tells, at the end of the day, it tells you, Hey, if you want elite teams operate, you know, their cycle time is like under two days. And then there's, there's numbers for it, for each one of the metrics. And we're probably going to dive deeper and talk about the metrics in a second. So it raises a lot of emotions. That's the other thing that I've seen. And we, we just hosted a meetup you know, on a different topic, like here in Linear B. And you could immediately, immediately see every time there's a benchmark, there, there are emotions. Wait, why, why do you say there's a need for And I keep saying to people, hey, you don't, the fact that you're in the need focus category doesn't mean that you need focus. You are the manager. You are the owner of what you choose to improve. All we're doing is like putting this framework in front of you. So you, you know where you are and, and giving you, of course, tools to improve, which is not less important. We're going to talk about those two. So those are like the reactions I see a lot of emotions, by the way, strong and very positive emotions. Also, there was a lot of, okay, thank you very much. We've been waiting for this for so long. Like, because, um, you know, when I was a VP of engineering. I remember my CEO was always asking me, okay, yeah, it seems that we're moving get good. Okay. Now I'm moving slowly and say, I'm saying, Hey, like, how do you know? Like, and he said, yeah, I talked to this company and I think they're moving fast. So that's a natural tendency of people like to, to kind of want to understand where we are in terms of uh, benchmark. But I say, use the data wisely. The fact that you need focus, it doesn't mean that you need it. Mean focus. If you think that you need to focus on improving that. You could decide that it's more important to your team to try to move from strong to elite in a certain category versus focusing on something that we define as needs focus. I think that's a great point. Like this is a way to understand the context of the industry and how your team stacks up and to identify potential pain points. But in the end, like your business needs and your team's needs are different. Something that I think we should do is break down like the three major categories that we've grouped these benchmarks into. So the first one is kind of the delivery life cycle. So that's cycle time, like you mentioned, it's coding time, pickup time, 
review time, deploy time. Can you tell us a bit more about these? Yeah. So maybe we first like let's define what they are and then talk Perfect. about like the numbers that that we see there. So cycle time often like in the DORA definition, it's called like lead time for changes in a very simple way. It's like when, how much time it takes from when code is being committed until it's in production in the hands of, of, of customers. I call it the engineering super metric. If you want to measure one thing, measure that. Now inside you have like four segments, uh, well, let, let's like specify them. Like coding time means like how much time it takes. It took me from like for the first commit until I, my PR is ready and I'm issuing it. And of course there's flavor, sometimes there's draft PRs, but let's stay in like on the main, on the main course where, okay, I'm ready. The PR is up. That's coding time. Now, if you move a little bit to the right, there's like a uh, pickup time. Pickup time just says, okay, the PR is up. How much time it takes until somebody like starts to do review work on it, put the first comment, approves it, say, hey, I'm going to do something with it later, but just the first reaction that it gets, like it's starting to get epic. Well, and to your point on that, Ori, we did another uh, study at Linear B where we found that the average wait time, idle time for PRs is, I believe, four days. Yeah. So yeah, that that's the the most amazing piece of data. I will have to pick one thing. So let's go over the segments and I'll tell you. Yeah, I'm distracted. I'm distracted. No, no, it's fine. So. The third thing is like, um, review time. I mean, okay, the review started. Now we're going to go back and forth. I'm saying, Hey, Connor, I think you should fix that. And you fix and we say, Hey, Ori, I don't think I should fix. We go back and forth. We finish, you merge code. That's the entire review time, including all the idle time that exists. Like maybe, I don't know, like, like we should do the day ended. We went like to chill, keep work life balance, came back to this the other day, but that's like a review time. Then at the end of the day, when the code is merged, you have like deployment, deploy time, how much time it took from when the code is merged until it's deployed. Now, all of this together, it's cycle time. And as for a question, what average we're seeing, I'm going to round the number so it's going to be easy to the, the sure. chest, but six to seven days is, it's like a typical cycle time for, for companies. That's the average. And the data that like blew my mind is that four to five days out of that, it's, it's not coding which is like the most important thing like that assets developers we need to do. It's not a deployment because now you have CICD, they're taking care of that. It's like just making sure somebody is starting to review my PR and all the review process. So like 80% of the, this entire process is like pick up and review, which is, which are idle the, most of the time. And so that's, that's why like, uh, you know, when we saw that at Linear B, we decided, Hey, we gotta help solve this problem. That's the most important problem that I think exists now for the, for engineering teams. It's almost like I saw a great doctor uh, yesterday that says you have a, a great, a good pipeline that moved past. You have happy developers also. Yes. Developers want to like to, to push stuff. If, and if you have something that's lagging and waiting, you usually have set developers. So it's not just about like, Hey, cycle time is important so we can deliver more features. It's impact directly on your health of your organization and how developers are happy, which is, is important these days. I want to solve problems. Like there's a ton of research around this. Like people don't want to do meaningless work. They want to do work that matters. And I want to help solve problems for our business and for our customers. And if I'm creating something, if I'm 
coding something that just doesn't end up making it into production or sits for for days and weeks. That's a really frustrating experience. And to your point, you know, let's say I come back to it five days later after getting my review. I've already worked on a couple other things. Am I going to fully remember what I was doing even? There's there's a lot of like context switching that creates and it probably damages the quality of work, I would think. Yeah, context switch is, is like the enemy here. And I'm not saying you can eliminate it 100%. You always have like this, again, because you just finished, like okay, you issued a PR and you're probably going to move to your next thing. But if if we can, you know, reduce dramatically the things that are waiting so long and are causing me all this context switches. And I'm not sure we're going to touch that later, but this is why in Linabee we built like a worker bee. That's like the one the thing that I'm most proud, almost most proud of, like in that we built in, in Linabee. And we, we can talk about it later, but the whole purpose of it is like to reduce context switches and to make, make sure like the, your PRs are being picked up and merge, merge fast. And there's amazing, you know, findings that a lot of the PRs are very small. They're like, you know, one or two or three or even five lines of code in the same file. But they're just piled up on like this 10 or other 15 PRs that need to be reviewed. If I can just send you it like in one message to your IDE, to your stack, and you can see, hey, that's all that changed. Yeah, I understand. I uh, Maybe I'll give you one comment, but maybe I'll prove it immediately. Just save like a lot of like this context switch and a lot of this like uh, waiting time. And it improves productivity dramatically. And to your point, that's been one of the big frustrations for our team. And for you as a, a developer and engineering leader for our, your co-founder, Dan, as a developer and engineering leader. And it's, I think, a, a really key reason that not only are we giving out these benchmarks reports saying, hey, here's how to improve. But we're also saying, great, we have a free tool. Go go use Worker B. Go help promote your PRs. Like, let's try to solve this problem for the industry. Something I think we should talk about is, you know, we're a big fan of cycle time. You said it's like the the, the one metric, if you had to pick one, this is the one you'd track. So what does an elite cycle time look like according to our engineering benchmarks research? Yeah, so according to our research and the way we classify the elite, we look at all the, you know, the teams that you talked about and all the, the branches and everything. And we try to say, okay, what's like the top 10%, right? An elite cycle time is when you go all the way from commit until the code is in production in less than two days, 48 hours. And organizations and teams are getting there and they're getting even better than that. Some of them, it's not easy. There's a lot of like, again, other things you need to fix in order to get there. But that's like the, the number, the holy grail. This is like, if you, you want your cycle time to be under two days. And to your point about how to get there, a lot of the key leading indicators of that fall into what we call our development workflow category of the engineering benchmark study. So deploy frequency, PR size, rework rate. Can you tell me a bit more about those and maybe how they affect cycle time? Yeah, so my, my favorite two are like PR size and pickup time, actually. So PR size is probably the most significant one. If organizations are able to change, it's also a little bit, easier to change the behavior there. So if you are able to move from the areas of like um, PRs that are like 1K changes or in those areas and get them all the way down to 200 or 225, I think that's like our benchmark for elite, like, you know, in PR side. And, and code changes are basically like, um, you know, additions and removals for like, uh, you know, and all that. 
what's going to happen is that everything that we just talked about in cycle time will improve and all the other door metrics will improve because small PRs are being picked up and reviewed fast. By the way, also the coverage of the review is bigger, right? So if I'm giving you 200 lines like to read, you're going to read them, probably all of them. If it's like 1K, you're going to look at like a couple of things, probably say, you know, you know what, like I can't read this, like, okay, ship it or looks good to me or whatever word, magic word as a team we have, like, okay, I just approved it. So because more code is being covered, quality improves. And we talked about the two Dora metrics that are kind of playing the quality area, change failure rate and MTTR. I love them because I love how they stretch the definition of quality. Quality was once bugs, but Dora metrics were kind of like saying, no, quality is beyond like the bugs. It's like, are you release and like how you recover from the releases? Like CFR basically says, how many of your releases, like, are you rolling back? And MTTR says, okay, once you need to roll back, how fast do you do that? So if your PRs are small, your explosions in production will be small. You can recover fast from them. So PR size is the one, like, early indicator metrics that help you improve almost everything around your, uh, you know, Dora metrics and all. And pickup time is my favorite because it tells you the best story about the social chemistry in your team. Mm. It's like the one thing that you, if you want to understand if like people help each other or to, to what level, if you see teams that like pickup time is like, you know, very low below, like, you know, not more than one hour, two hours, it's, it's amazing. And that means that the team is working together and they understand that this is team sports. And this is another metric that pushes almost everything like around cycle time to, to improve. So it's a positive collaboration indicator. Yeah, it's a positive collaboration indicator. Then, then combine it with a small PR, it's probably one review cycles and not 10. Then we just took the five days that we talked about. It's like the... That's the main problem. The main problem. And we shorten it like two hours. And this is how you get to like uh, a cycle time of under two days. Fantastic. What about deploy frequency and rework rate? Yeah. So deploy frequency is, is kind of related to everything we just talked about. If you are working in small chunks and not just in small chunks, small chunks that are releasable, right? That you can, well, you need to kind of plan and break it into chunks that are releasable. Your deployment frequency will go up and it's a great indicator that you're working in a good cadence and you probably will improve again, like uh, all the other metrics like CFR and PTR and, and all of that. Inwork rate is really interesting, also known as co-churn, meaning like, um, just let's define it for a, uh, for a moment because there's sometimes people, I think there's some confusion around it sometimes. So basically if I wrote code, it, it's merged into the main trunk, even released, and I'm refactoring it. And now when I'm saying refactor, people say, wait, refactor is good. And I'm saying, yeah, refactor is amazing. If you're refactoring like a system, like it's been there for six months or one year and you need, that's always be refactoring. That's a great, great, great mentality. But not on code we just committed. Yeah. And if, if it's on code we just committed, and by the way, it can happen on code we just committed, but if it's on 50% of the code we just committed or I don't 100% of the code we just committed and it's a repeating pattern, something is broken in our process. We have a yeah. quality problem or maybe product and engineering are not aligned. Product is saying, hey, build this. 
engineering is building something and say, oh, that's not what we want. Now we're refactoring or reworking this thing. So that's an important like thing to like distinguish. Uh, rework is like the, I don't want to say, but it's the bad type of refactoring. So when it comes in high percent. I, I think this relates back to that map conversation we had earlier of like, when you mentioned like our product and engineering aligned, are we going to point A together or is one going to point B, one's going to point A? When you see that kind of negative communication between product and engineering, that's when you find high rework rates as one example. Exactly. That's when there's like miscommunication between product and, and engineering. That's one example. When there's a quali- quality problems, there's almost like, You'll see high rework rates in a specific microservice or, or a repo. One month later, that's where you see the bugs coming in. It's almost like it's a very strong signal on like uh, where you should be focusing your quality efforts. And I'll say on the, on the coding quality side, I really enjoyed the walkthrough we created recently about how to take these engineering benchmarks and move to improving coding quality. So for anyone here, we'll have links to all this in the description below so you can read the whole report, see how we compiled it. And also figure out, okay, how do I take that next step of improving? So make sure to check that out after this episode. Ori, one more really important piece of this metrics conversation we need to have is about business alignment. We've talked about this a little bit, but it's great if engineering is is doing their thing and, and building features. But if we're not aligned with product, if we're not aligned with the rest of the business, if the, the C-suite has a different opinion about the direction we should be going, there's still a problem within the organization. And beyond that, if engineering, let's say we are aligned, but we think, oh, we, we can do 10 times the number of features we can actually do, that is a, another problem. And it's going to be a problem for the whole team trying to report out to the rest of the business. And so the metric we have for that is planning accuracy. Can you talk me through why planning accuracy is so important and what it shows teams to do? Yeah, this one is uh, really, really important because, and that was... Uh, going back to the beginning of our conversation, I think one of the missing pieces, like in, or in the original Doro metrics, but I'll start with a short story. Like when I was a, again, VP of engineering, VP of R&D, it was almost like I had conversations with my CEO and it was almost like very hard to, to please, uh, you know, him and the sales org. And at one point I kind of like understood, hey, the best thing that I can do for my organization is being predictive. Even if like they want to release 20 features and say, no, we can release 10 features. But I deliver those 10 features with high probability. I get a lot of credit and the organization also is much, much better aligned. That's, so to me, planning accuracy is the one metric that kind of shows how you align with the business. And it like, builds trust. It builds trust. It shows that we're moving moving in the, in the right direction, it just ties between like engineering KPI to business KPI, because sometimes I'm not saying all the times, smart CEOs and smart business leaders kind of can go all the way and see the Dora metrics and they like the, the those indicators, oh, we're operating great. But a lot of times they will say, okay, yeah, so we're listening a lot and the pipeline move fast, but where are the features? So. This is kind of like the the uh, the one metric or the one thing that shows I'm going to del- I'm going to commit to delivering one two three four five, and I want to be hitting a certain percentage of that, and we benchmark also that it wasn't easy maybe there's a different like 
episode just to talk about, you know, how you normalize all the data to kind of like elicit results because there's Kanban, there's Scrum, there's different type of Scrum. But still, we were able to normalize it and kind of like benchmark. And it might sound, sound a little bit weird, but if you are hitting 80% and above of what, of what you committed, you will be perceived as elite. That's an elite organization. Most of the engineering organizations are 60%, even 40, 50%. They're living on 50. It's not, it's not a big surprise for everybody in the, in, in the industry, right? So I'm, we're saying we want to deliver. There's this like back and forth. The business says, hey, we need to deliver a lot. So the engineering org will overcommit. This is why the predictability is usually in the areas of like 50, 60%, sometimes 40 and even lower. And organizations that are able to, to get it into like the 80% and higher are elite, are considered in the elite category and they're getting a lot of like respect and a lot of trust for organization. I would say one more thing, Potter, that everything that we just spoke about, small PRs, fast cycles, all of those things will help you get more predictable. And sometimes it's hard to like to connect between the two, but I'll just give an example. Let's say you work, you work, and all of a sudden it comes this PR with 2K changes. It throws you off because then you approve it. You didn't read it through. You list a bug. You need to recover. You're probably, your MTTR is a little bit longer. You just spend two or three cycles of recovering from a problem. And if you're staying with small chunks and in, in a standard, you know, way, you already know if I have this amount of tasks, I'm going to be predictable. So just improving on the Dora metrics that are important by looking at early indicators, right? Leading indicators at the end also lead like to better predictability. And that's like the important message of think of, of our research. I think that's really crucial to mention. Let's get really granular on it. So what can companies do to kind of go from average to elite? You've mentioned a couple of things. Let's, uh, let's think of some like action items. We talked about cycle time. Let's kind of like focus in on that to start with. Yeah. So I, again, there's a bunch of things like uh, I'll mention things like that we have in our product, but in general, I think the first is like, you know, a conscious decision on what you want to improve, right? So understand where you are. Our product, for example, now took it to the next level. It will recommend you. What do you need to focus on and what step can you take, right? So what step can you take? Even if you're like in a strong, hey, you can move from lower bound of strong to the upper bound of strong. So, so first of all, I think it, it is important to, to kind of identify how, what do you want to focus on? What we always recommend is identifying those and putting goals for yourself, right? So I don't know, for example, you, you can say, okay, I'm not the two days of cycle times, uh, five days. Let's just do this like baby step, go from five days to 4.5 days. What can we do? Let's go back to the PR size that we talked about. I'm still not perfect. I'm at 500 go changes. Let's try to get the average down to 400. And there's great frameworks to do that. We have in Linea B this feature called the uh, team agreements or team goals where you can Every team needs to decide, this is what I'm choosing to focus and a machine learning model can recommend you what you should be focusing on. So that's one thing. The other thing is like we said before, all of these problems, cycle time, 
if you look at it from the prism of a developer, they also suffer from the pro that problem. Well, they might not care about, well, my cycle time is five days or seven days. Again, if I'm honest, when I was a developer, I want to get my code merged. Right. But it's the same problem. I want to get my code merged fast. It's like, yeah, I might not like see the actual metric and all of that. So um, there are great, you know, features out there and, and packages out there. And NinjaB is not the only one that takes care of those problems. What can you do like to get your PR merged faster? So get your developers involved in this and don't come to them with a metric. Come to them and like, hey, we're taking initiative to get our PR merged faster. These are really, really actionable items. We almost think at it at a very abstract level, like at NAB, we sometimes get uh, philosophical about it. We say those are edges, right? We have edges that if, if there's going to be um, hive mind, right? So. I can improve door metrics at the IDE. While I'm coding my PR, I really want to. I really want to understand what's going to happen to it. If if I can keep it small, if the IDE will help me, kind of aim it to be small, that's going to be the best outcome that we can get. Or in Slack, where a lot of the developers live. So there's a bunch of things like uh, things can uh, can do, but I think it starts with identifying what we really want to improve, giving empowerment to the team to take the decision. Don't come top down as leaders. Say, hey, we gotta even each team the power like to decide what they want to focus on. Then set tangible goals like to improve. And again, there's great software that helps. Maybe is one of them like to to build a framework around that. To your point, Ori, none of these things will improve just with metrics and visibility, right? We have to actually take action. And I think that the cycle time and like getting your code merged faster is a great example. You know, a VP of engineering may care about the cycle time overall, and that's the metric they're looking at. But you can talk to your developers and your team leads and say, hey, we want to help you get your code merged faster. Let's make your life easier. Let's help us solve more problems here. We're going to see reciprocal benefits. Okay, let's maybe set some team goals or agreements around PR size. Maybe we set a pickup time goal related to that. Maybe we align to like a, a single responsibility principle around like each PR and branch does one thing. Uh, or there are lots of other examples, right, of things that could be a problem. Like maybe you find, as you look at these metrics, that your sprints are unbalanced and teams don't have enough time to code and review. They, there's a lot of potential things you can do here. And the Benchmarks report is designed to give you that framework. And then Linear B and, and other tools, as you pointed out, are, are here to help say, okay, here's how we're going to take you from average to elite. Here's how we're going to provide frameworks, uh, working agreements, tools. And, and one tool I want to talk a little bit about, because I think it really relates to a lot of stuff you're talking about, is, is Worker B. For anyone who doesn't know, what, what is Worker B? Worker B um, is something we build in Linear B that is not looking at the metrics level, but looking at the same problems, but from, again, from a developer perspective. So my favorite two use cases are that so WorkerB is a bot that can live on your Slack or Microsoft Teams or, or whatever like collaboration tool you use. It can live on your Git interface as a web extension, whether you use GitHub or whatever you use. And it can very soon also be in your IDE, which is, which is amazing because this is where I spend as a developer 80% of my time. And what WorkerB does is basically here to help me as a developer to get my code merge faster. So uh, one classic use case is I'm issuing a PR. 
it's rather small because, you know, I read everything around Dora and I'm educated and I'm trying to like work in small PRs. Uh, what WorkAB will do for me, it will help me promote this. It will find a good reviewer and it will also say, hey, you know what? It only takes one minute or two minutes like to review this PR. Now, if I'm the reviewer of that, it's very attractive to me to see, to see it because I can unblock somebody really fast and it will add also sometimes the business context. Maybe it's a very important bug. So I'll jump on, on that first. When somebody reviewed my changes, I'm going to get a message just for me. I say, hey, somebody like just gave you comments and now I can uh, review the PR and react to it. So that's, that's one use case. The other use case sometimes like a developer, I remember like when I was fixing back bugs fast, I just issue a PR and release it to production fast. And then all of a sudden my team leader would come, hey, you didn't open a Jira ticket about it. And like, there's always like, or the project manager. And that's it, even if they remember, but, and, and the Jira data is important because it shows a lot of like the things that we talked about, planning accuracy and all of that. But if the data integrity there is low, because there's no, you know, we, we also took liberty and, and, and found that like, 30 to 35% of the branches don't have like a Jira ticket uh, related to them. So what WorkAB will do for me, it will just say, hey, or you forgot to open a Jira ticket. Let me do that for you. And I'm just clicking one click and it does all of that for me. So as a developer, it just saved me all of the, like logging into Jira, opening a ticket, just, you know, a thing that will take me 10 minutes and I do probably, I don't know, 10 to 15 times a day. It just saved me so much time. Uh, so I'm happy as a developer. And WorkAB is for developers, but also like my, my manager is probably happy because data is now has higher integrity and the reports are like reflecting more the reality than it should. This is one of the ways that you can implement these team working agreements that we talked about of great. You figured out your benchmarks, you know, where your team stacks, your leadership can go talk to devs and say, Hey, we want to help you merge faster. Here's some tooling to do it. I think this is a great example of like how to go from average to elite is you can identify where you're at. You can identify some of the pain points you want to focus on, and then you can use tooling to do that. And, and it doesn't have to be super expensive either. Like we have a free version of Worker B that has some of these functionalities, including particularly PR side, Worker B for pull requests. It's available free on the Chrome Web Store for a download. And then we have like other tiers of capability if you're interested in, in learning more. Uh, you can go to linearb.io. And again, we'll have links in the description below. Another really important thing to think about if you want to talk about like people investment and kind of making changes about how to work to avoid things like unbalanced sprints and make sure all work is accounted for is our, our product delivery tracker tool. And it kind of gives us the context in the sprint you need, makes sure that all the issues being worked on are appropriately categorized. Can you give us a little more information about how PDT can help teams to improve their planning accuracy or other metrics? So if WorkAB was like, um, you know, for developers or team leaders, by the way, like again, team leader can, like you said, can define team goals and developers, sometimes with their motivation, just want to get my VR merge faster. So WorkAB like focusing on that, the PDT, like the, the main, you know, user of that is more like the engineering leader, but also the, also the team leader. So what PDT can help you do is first of all identify your planning accuracy, like in Dora, start with visibility, just see where you are. And most of the organizations that don't have visibility, they start and they measure and they identify that they're like at 
40, 50% usually. Um, so that's the first thing that it does for you. Then it takes you to the next level. Yeah, we have a smart algorithm that kind of like identify when kind of like the content of the sprint was, okay, we, we froze it sometimes in very disciplined organization. It's the first minute of the sprint, but sometimes, you know, the first day or first couple of days, things are still moving. So we auto detect that. And from that moment, we freeze it, the content and PDT identifies what was added after the iteration started. Sometimes it, you know, a scope grip product is saying, no, we need to do also that, this and that. Sometimes it's like, uh, you know, bugs that are coming in the middle. Uh, sometimes it's just, we didn't do good enough planning and we identified there is more components that we need to touch. And what PDT helps you is identify at the end of the iteration, how much you delivered from what you promised, your planning accuracy, and how much was, was added in the middle and what type of additions it was. So you can, it enables you to run a very, very smart and data-driven retrospective to improve in the next iteration. So either commit for less, which is not a, it's not a bad thing. We, we, we said predictability is the most important. Maybe you need to commit for less. Maybe you need to plan better. Maybe you need to have a talk with product. Hey, don't scope creep like all the time. Like just have a better refined story. It helps you identify what do you need to do to get more predictability. And if you tie it back also with those operational metrics, it's even better. Fantastic. I know you and I are both obviously really excited about this, right? You know, we have this better data now. We can show how teams stack up. We feel like there's tooling that's available to help make actual changes. Uh, and while the study premiered early this year, we're going to continue to update it uh, and and tell you every year, if not more regularly, hey, what's changing in the industry? How are teams stacking up? What does success look like? And continuing to provide opportunities to actually make that improvement happen. But I know there are some folks in the audience who maybe are skeptical, but they're not convinced. They're They're wondering, how will these benchmarks actually improve our performance? Like, why should this matter to me? What would you say to those folks? I say, first of all, like, don't choose to improve on something you don't believe in. If you're like too, if you're skeptical, you say, I don't think it's going to help me improve. Ken, there's no replacement for great managers. You know better than every generalization. We're here to empower you with data and tools once you choose what you want to improve. That That's the number one thing that I want to say. The second thing is like, at the end of the day, it's like, um, Again, I was a developer before even being promoted, like for a team lead for eight years. I didn't want to move from like just programming all the time. We feel like again, our, uh, it's all, it's, it's an art, right? So right. we want to be focused on building. So sometimes hard like to get this, like, um, Hey, you're coming with these numbers, but yeah, at the end of the day, it's an art, but it's also a science. There's also like best practices. They might know, not all of them, like and match your business case, which is fine. Like I told you, like, you know, better than everybody, but yeah, be open to the fact that there are business, there are standards, there are benchmarks of like best practices. So you should be using them. We're going to keep on improving. Like you said, we'll segment them better based on the size of the company and the industry and a lot of like great ideas and more metrics, more the, you know, uh, leading indicator or the metrics more around the business. So I think it will rise like the level of, you know, how much I can identify with, with the research. 
But yeah, that's, that's what I would say. Like, uh, do only what you believe. Don't do stuff that you don't do. Totally. We're, we're here to give you context. We're here to give you frameworks you can choose to apply. And then we're here to give you tools that you can use to either apply those frameworks, improve. But it's, it's a suite of tools. It's a suite of opportunities. And you can pick and choose what's right for your team based on the context that you have that we don't. Exactly. If you even don't want it, don't take anything. Just give your developers work a bit and they merge their code faster. They're happy. That's even like a very good start. Very Absolutely. Good start. Well, Ori, our time is up, but it, uh, it seems like we only just skimmed the surface of the takeaways that engineering teams can glean from the report. Where can listeners dive deeper on the report and see how their own teams fare based on these benchmarks? Well, it's available on our website, right? At inabito.io. You can like uh, see the, uh, all the, re the full, re get the full report there. We keep talking about it in Dev Interrupted in our podcast. Uh, we're going to cover more and more like aspects of it. It exists in our product. If you use the Linear product, like, uh, when you choose, you don't have to, but if you choose on every metric that you look, you can turn it on and see where you are and you can turn it back off if you don't feel good and you don't want to see it all the time. Yes. Um, um, so th those are like the areas that, you know, I think like you can find it. Am I missing something corner? Can you find it uh, out of places? Well, so the one thing I would say is, you know, obviously we'll include a link to all this in the description below. So you can go directly to the benchmarks report, understand more about it. But if you're a team lead listening to this, maybe your, your organization isn't using Linear B, you can still sign up for a free account for your team of up to eight devs, and you can look at your own team metrics and, and benchmark them against the report all for free. We want to give this information out because we think it's really important for the industry to understand. And, and so like, I would just encourage team leads as well. You don't have to be the director or the VP of engineering to use this. You can be a team lead, come in and, and put your team on this take a look at the metrics and kind of make your own decisions from there about how you want to approach it. You know, we want to help you improve it. And that's what's important to us is that impact. Ori, thank, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been fantastic. It's always great talking to you. And this is, you know, one of my favorite topics. For anyone who's listening, if you really enjoyed this content, please be sure to let us know by leaving a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. They help the show grow and enable us to keep on delivering great content to you and your team. And I'll just say, Ori, thanks again for coming on. Thank you very much, Donald. This was fun. Awesome.